0: Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books Author Reading Series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at SkylightBooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook. If you would like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at three two three six six zero one one seven five. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. I'm um, very happy to have this event, and to kick it off, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Julia Stein.
1: Yay. Uh, Okay. Uh, You can hear me. I'd like to welcome you all to this reading of the first anthology ever of triangle fire poetry. Uh, It's called Walking Through a River of Fire, 100 Years of Triangle Fire Poetry. And I'd like to tell you how the book came about. I wrote my first triangle fire poem in 1980 because I was writing about my grandmother who worked in a sweatshop in New York, in actually Pittsburgh. She was the oldest of uh, five kids, and my great-grandfather brother, there were immigrants from Russia, Russian Jews. My grand, great-grandfather couldn't make enough money, so she went into a garment factory to support the family uh, when she was about 17. And she worked there for, I guess, about 10 years. I wanted to honor her and her generation for their hard work, their courage, and they always had a vision for social justice. So I wrote these poems, and I got to know other poets who were writing these poems. And there were two literary critics who wrote about us, Janet, Zandi and Karen Kosivik. And last August, or really July, I was in San Francisco to take part in the San Francisco Labor Fest. And that Labor Fest has 82 events you know, pro-labor events every July. And it's an amazing festival and the main organizer of the festival, Steve Zeltzer, suggested I do this anthology. And I thought about it and came back and I said, I thought about it, and I first did a bibliography of Triangle Fire literature and I found that not only is there poetry, there's novels, there's plays, there's an amazing amount of literature and that bibliography is online. And then I did the book. I edited the book and it was published in February. And at the same time, myself and four others co-founded L.A. Labor Fest, and the people co- co-founded us, Andy Griggs, Lee, uh, Lee Beck, and Elaine Ocasio. So we thought, if San Francisco can have a Labor Fest, we should have one too here in Los Angeles. And we hooked up with, oh, I gotta get something. We hooked. We hooked up with the. Um, remember the Triangle Coalition, which was uh, actually Steve and I hooked up with them in August, and this is their sort of national uh, newspaper listing all the events they're having in multiple cities. I think they're having. Triangle Fire events this spring in over 17 cities, you can see them, and uh, probably 70, 80, 90 events. It's hard to keep track of how many events they're having. And we have a series, LA Labor Fest, of uh, five events, and our major event is another flyer. It's going to be at the Echo Park Methodist Church next Friday, and it's going to be a benefit for the. Los Angeles Garment Center. We have the largest garment industry uh, in the in the country. So you can tell your friends about this or come, there'll be music and poetry and speakers, and it will be a benefit and nobody will turn, be turned away. So that's a little back history. Um, what I did with the poems is I organized them like a play which tells the story of the Triangle Fire chronologically from its beginning to its end. And I have, um, I have three other people to read the poems with me, and I'll introduce the poems, and I'll introduce the poets, and I'll introduce the people who will be reading them. Uh, the first poet is Chris Llewellyn. She wrote a book of poetry called Fragment from the Fire, which won the Whitman Award. It's one of the two major important awards, national awards, for her first book of poetry in Los Angeles. She's also reading her poetry at the Library of Congress in March 25th at the Centennial of the Triangle Fire and uh, she brought this book to the Library of Congress. Within weeks of its publication, she donated a couple copies. Uh, Reading her poem will be Elaine Ocasio. Uh, Elaine Is a performer. She has written. uh, She's a writer performance whose show All I Ever Wanted premiered at the Santa Monica Playhouse in November 2009. She has written a second show about the Triangle Fire, which she premiered two weeks ago in San Francisco. Could you please welcome Elaine Ocasio?
0: Thank you. Shirtwaist Tucker by Chris Llewellyn The fire? That was 19 and 11. Yes, I was a garment girl, a tucker at the triangle. We'd haul big bolts of cloth, feed them to pleating machines that crimp the folds at neck and wrist to take in fullness or decorate the yoke. Saturday was payday, twelve dollars for sixty hours. Oh, I could make do better than most. Winter was bitter and prices dear. Bit by bit bought me a coat, a warm wool coat, and in spring a white Batiste waist. Was a real American lady come high holy days. Say that was a slave driving place. Couldn't talk to your neighbors and the bosses kept doors locked, looking out for organizers, agitators. That afternoon, I was close by the cutting table, spied a little snake of smoke. So I say to the manager, Mr. Bernstein, I see smoke. And when he tipped water from a little wooden bucket, such a flame shot up. Uh, Next,
1: Liebeck and I will do a duet of Hilton Obezinger's poem. Hilton Oppezinger is a... he was a long-time political activist, he's a poet, he's a novelist, and his Triangle Fire poem came out of a history he did of New York fires for the New York Fire Department. His latest book is Busy Dying, about his activism he sat in in Columbia in 1968, and his own student's activism. Uh, With me is Lee Beck. Lee Beck is a writer, actor, activist, artistic director of the Public Works Improvisational Theatre Project. Okay, Lee and I, I'm gonna start. It's called Triangle Shirtwaist Company, March 21st, March 25th, 1911. I'm drinking tea with a friend across Washington Square Park. Then I heard bells and sirens, so I run across. Smoke pours out of the top floor of the Ash Building. Oh, God, it's Triangle Shirtwaist. Only yesterday they throw me out. I work there and organize, and the bosses find out. So so Morris Goldfarb comes and tells me,
2: Pack your things and get out.
1: Out the windows, cotton bundles fall with tails of smoke. I think they must be tossing
2: out the burning cuttings. Then a bundle unfurls like a flag. It's a black skirt with a girl. And she hits the sidewalk with such force, she smashes through the deadlights into the cellar vault. They're jumping. The girls are jumping from the ninth floor. Oh my God, how high they are up.
1: I grab my throat and don't let go. Put up the ladders,
2: the people cry out. But the horses can't pull up to the building. The bodies litter the sidewalk, quivering. The horses panic at the pelting bodies. Oh, God, they're falling, so many falling. It's quitting time, and I know Joe Wheeler rings the
1: bell, ready to search the pocketbooks as the girls leave. Blank and Harris must,
2: must be sure no one steals. The door- doors are locked so the girls don't steal. The doors are locked so Union can't sneak in. Only the
1: elevators can carry them down. They climb up out on the ledges. One girl climbs up, looks like Gussie Rosenfeld maybe. She flings her hat into the air. She opens her pocketbook. Coins sprinkle down and a few bills flutter around. No, there's nothing in it. She dumps it all, even the pay envelope.
2: And, and she jumps. The firemen bring out their nets and they yell for them to jump. They hold hands and jump. And the firemen are somersaulted into the nets. And the girls die and the horses scream and kick. Finally, they throw up their ladders, but they only go to the sixth floor, not to the ninth or the tenth. They cannot reach all the way up to the girls on the ledges who fall in twos and threes holding hands. A girl waves her handkerchief, then leaps, but catches on a hook besides the building a few floors below. She hangs there until her dress burns free. A girl and a boy kiss and embrace and drop arm in arm I think of the big bosom of the Gibson girl
1: all the shirt we cut and sew for the Gibson girl the collar held so close the long sleeves flouncing up i cannot even wish the Gibson girl should fall from so high up
2: Finally, some who escape run out the front door.
1: Tutamorti! Tutamorti, Maria Wells! And I grab hold of her for a moment. Josito, he runs up with the elevator again and again, she cries. The elevator is stuffed with girls. They fling themselves until now. He can run no more because they jump down the shaft after him, and the shaft is filled with bodies. Oh, Miriam, each one hit the elevator floor. They even bend the big iron beam.
2: Then Anna Doherty stumbles against a screaming... Don't let them hurt me! Don't let them hurt me! Until a policeman grabs her to calm her down. The same cop who broke up the picket line only months ago. Back then, Jay Klein stood by his machine and cried out, People! Workers! Look at what they're doing to us! Get up from your machines! And when Goldfarb lum- lumbered over t- to him, We, we all stood, stood up, up yelling,
1: yelling strike, strike! Strike!
2: We picket, and they break our heads. And everyone in America learns what a sweatshop is and they hear about the union. But at the end, the triangle is the same. The bosses are the same. And even though the professor across the street at NYU says he sees unsafe conditions from his window, every day they lock the doors, the cuttings pile up, and the sewing machines drip oil, until now the professor from NYU stretches a ladder across the alley to the roof so some of the girls can climb through the smoke before the books in the library bursts into flames. The crowd is howling at the
1: girls holding on to the ledges. It's quitting time, and the sun is dropping behind the smoke. But we stay and stare, and not thinking, reach up with our hands. I know at home my papa welcomes the end of the Sabbath, chants to separate the rest of the week, and he sprinkles the wine on a platter and sets a match to it. And the quick flame marks the
2: end, the dividing line. Now the girls in flames plunge to the sidewalk. Celia Weintraub, Rose Glantz, Julia Aberstein, Lucia Maltese, or Circa Brenham.
1: They are the ones who draw the line between those who work and those who own the value of it. Very soon the fire is out, maybe 15 minutes. The crowd grows as the news spreads. Then the survivors and the relatives and the friends all at once lunge for the building. The fire chief comes down and talks to reporters.
2: In the drifting smoke, I saw bodies burned to bare bone, skeletons bending over sewing machines. The fire itself was brought swiftly under control. It was not difficult to extinguish from a professional point of view. Only the furniture, the dress goods, and the employees were destroyed.
1: The crowd does not howl, but is silent. As it rushes the building again, the cops beat back the crowd with their clubs.
2: The ladders of the firemen only reach the sixth floor, but the garment factory stretch to the ninth, tenth, and beyond, with thousands of workers high up in the sky, who every day climb into elevators to float above the streets, an endless supply sucked out from Odessa and Sicily, and shot into the sky. When
1: Europe is dry, lands I cannot imagine will float high above the pavement on the ninth and tenth floors, while their greenhorn fathers like mine will say, at least in America, they don't let you burn. Max Hotho the Cutter comes up to me in the crowd with smoke all over his face. He got his pay and rushed out the door, the one door open, then he saw flames and raced back to save his sister, who swept down the stairs. Now his sister lies out on the pavement and he grabs my shoulder to ask if he can borrow some money. His pay is burned up on the stairway. He wants to buy a gun. He will shoot Max Blake and Iris Harris, the bosses, to avenge the death of his sister. He is innocent enough for a murderer.
2: I too would like to kill the bosses. Each day our fingers are stabbed with needles while the bosses sell blouses as if the blood is invisible on the crisp white Gibson girl. Now they push us out of the windows. Now more of us are ready to kill. Every day they cheat us and they don't let us breathe. And Goldfarb comes to your bench ready to hit. Every day we get a mind to undo the old, to kill all that kills.
1: All that we do does not go around
2: in circles. It is not always the same, no. Even if we burn up, it's not always the same. What we make with our pain spirals up story by story until the factories in the sky become the thrones of all creation and the dividing line between our labor and ourselves is killed. The dead girls
1: will then be living in us, and the living bosses will walk around dead. I think all this, and, and but can't say it to Max Hopeville, the cutter. These are not words but girls following, falling. I grab my throat and don't let go. Thank you okay i'm uh, um, what. Elaine, next. Oh, oh what? okay. Uh Okay. The next poet is Ruth Dagan. Ruth Dagan was an opera singer, a poet, and she uh, published the wonderful uh, literary magazine Poets On. Her poem will be read by Elaine Ocasio, who will also read a couple more. Okay.
0: Sadie Frown, Apprentice. That Saturday, I quit at noon picked up my pay, then changed my mind. Thought I'd do some overtime, but David said, live a little. Let's go to Coney Island. In Poland, I never thought about boys. Too young. But after Pa died, Ma and I left for America. Uncle Joe brought us home to Brownsville. Such a life! Running water, hot and cold, inside toilets, Clawed bathtub in the kitchen, big enough for all the kids. Got a job and a room nearby, real cheap. I'm up early, get ready, and go to work. Factory opens up at 7. We get our stint and begin. Everyone hurries. A needle drives through a nail, splintering a bone. No time to stop. Wages docked. I even join the union, pay a quarter a month. It's worth it. Rosie says the union makes us strong. She's right. We struck for shorter hours and won that fight. I go to all the union meetings with my friends and sing. Hail the wastemakers of 1909, breaking the power of those who reign, pointing the way, smashing the chain. We showed the world that women could fight and we rose and won with women's right. But things change when I meet David. Tall, dark. David, like a Broadway star. After work, we go to Coney Island and dance. I'm learning about reading and writing and fresh air and fun. And David, who took me dancing to Coney Island that day. This one is entitled, Hyman Michelle Clerk. A sound of chittering, flames sneaking towards me. I am trapped and there's nowhere to go. Nothing but a sea of fire and girls drowning. Desperate I smash through elevator glass window and move hand over hand down steel cables. Nothing. I feel nothing. Don't feel palms flesh torn from the bones. Don't feel splinters needle deep in my body. Finally I drop to the basement floor. Nearby, bodies falling, water rising. I'm crouching in the freezing water. I forget how long. Can't even whisper and no one hears. No one. When firemen battered down the door shouting, Get up! Were you here all night? What happened? I remember nothing. Can't move. Can't speak. Nothing. In the hospital, wounds treated, blanketed, and warm. I breathe in the fresh smell of a sheets. Eyes slowly see the light. Memory opens wide, and no one hears my hoarse whispers. My sister, where is my sister?
1: OK. The next poem, is is by Dana Burnett. Dana Burnett was a reporter for the New York Sun from 1911 to 1918. He published a book of poetry with Harper Brothers in 1915, so this is a 1915 poem about what he experienced at that time. And Lee will read it.
2: It's called Ballad of Dead Girls by Dana Burnett. Scarce had they brought the bodies down across the withered floor than Max Rogowski thundered at the district leader's door. Scarce had the white lipped mothers come to search the fearful noon than Max stood shivering in Tom McTodd's saloon. In Tom McTodd's saloon, he stood beside the silver bar where any honest lad may stand and sell his vote at par. Ten years I've paid the system tax. The words fell, quivering, raw. And now I want the thing I bought, protection from the law. The leader smiled, a twisted smile. Your doors were locked, he said. You've overstepped the limit, Max. A hundred women, dead. Dead. Then Max Rogowski gripped the bar and shivered where he stood. You, you listen now to me, he cried, like business fellers should. I've paid for all my hundred dead. I've paid, <laughs> I've paid, I've paid, I've paid, <laughs> I've paid all right. His ragged laughter rang and died, for he was sore afraid. I've paid for Wooden Hall and Stare. I've paid to strain my, f- stain, strain my floors. I've paid for rotten fire escapes for all my bolted doors. Your fat inspectors came and came. I crossed their hands with gold and now I want the thing I bought. The thing the system sold. The district leader filled the glass with whiskey from the bar. The little silver counter where he's bought men's souls at par. And well he knew that he must give the thing that he had sold, else men should doubt the system's word, keep back the system's gold. The whiskey burned beneath his tongue. A hundred women dead. And then I guess the boss can fix it up. Go home and hide, he said. All day they brought the bodies down from Max Rogoski's place. And oh, the fearful touch of flame on hand and breast and face. All day the white-lipped mothers came to search the sheeted dead. And horror strode the blackened walls where death had walked in red. But Max Rogowski did not weep. He knew that tears were vain. He paid the system's price and lived to lock his doors again.
1: Uh, thank you. Uh, next, Lynn Bronstein will read. Lynn is a poet and journalist. Lynn's published four books of poetry. Her books of poetry are Astray from Sea*, Ruidge, Thirsty in the Ocean, and Border Crossing. The first poem she'll read, uh, she'll read a number of poems, but the first poem is by Chris Llewellyn. Okay, this is called
3: Scraps, and it's a woman named Lena Goldman speaking of Sonia. Garment workers from Triangle always came to my cafe. Each Saturday, the boys and girls in groups, arm in arm and laughing. You'd think after 14 hours packing and sewing, they'd be ready to drop, but not on payday. Sometimes Sonia sat alone, scribbled on scraps. With such hours at Triangle, five brothers at home, where else to write? Her poems weren't moon, June, or like that. At first, she only wanted us to laugh. There was a cruel boss named Ash, who preferred his potatoes mashed. When the women talked union, he was thrashing and stewing, Soft in the head, Joseph Ash. Oh, she was a bright one. Serious poems, too. Tonight, all over the world, garment girls are looking out, looking up at the stars. 14 years old, and writing English. Well, after the fire, her father came in crying. Like losing her twice, he kept saying, since Sonia's notebook burned up too. He can't afford to educate his sons. Yet even in better times, a daughter wasn't sent to the House of Studies. But in America, Sonia said, I will find my way. Okay, this next one is by Mary Fell, and it's called "Cortege." Mary Fell, uh... Her book, The Persistence of Memory, was the 1983 National Poetry Series winner. She has an MFA from the University of Massachusetts and teaches English at Indiana University. And this poem deals with the fact that there were six bodies burned in triangle that were not identified. They have not been identified until just a couple of months ago. And this poem is about those unnamed victims. Cortege. A cold rain comforts the sky. Everything ash-colored under clouds. I take my place in the crowd. Move without will as the procession moves, a gray wave breaking against the street. Up ahead, 147 coffins float, wreckage of lives. I follow the box without a name. In it, whose hand encloses whose heart? Whose mouth presses the air toward a scream? She is no one the one I claim as sister. When the familiar is tagged and taken away, she remains. I do not mourn her. I mourn no one. I do not praise her. No one is left to praise. Seventy years after her death, I walk in March rain behind her. She travels before me into the dark. Okay, and there's another poem here. Uh, where is it? Yep. This is by Chris Llewellyn, again, and it's called, I Am Appalled. Uh, New York Governor Dix. The police commissioner points to the mayor, who gripes at the governor, I am appalled, who sets on the state labor commissioner, who blames the National Fire underwriters, who turn on the fire commissioner, who cites the city beautiful for finding fire escapes ugly, who then faults the architects, who place it on tenement housing, who says failure of the health department, who then proclaim conspiracy between the utility companies and the
1: police commissioner. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> there was a lot of blame pointing at all these people. Anyway, um, Lee will now read uh, Blank and Harris. Blank and Harris were the owners of Triangle. And they had a, there was a trial of them, and the jury uh, found them not guilty. And they got insurance money. a lot uh, Over 100,000 insurance money. Anyway, Lee, Blank and Harris, the bosses.
2: By Ruth Dagon. We can't lift our heads, can't look, anyone in the eye. They turn their backs and mutter, murderers, Landsleet. This is America. We, we do what everybody does. And if we close the factory, what will happen to these greenhorns? If not for us, uh, they'll starve. Who will pay rent? <laughs> Buy food? Feed children? Yes, the children. We had a space corner for them, close by their mothers so the women wouldn't worry that the kids are running wild and the babies, who care for them? If the kid trimmed threads from skirt waist, it's an easy job, keeps them busy, makes them feel important. <laughs> we invent a little game of hide and seek, a little fun in case inspectors come. Kids jump into deep cases, pull blouses down, hide under them until someone yells, home free. <laughs> Kids love the game. Even mothers smile. When workers put in overtime, we give them apple pie for supper can't afford extra wages all our profits go but but we're not like the bosses who treat their girls just like the machinery Uh, believe me we hear them say we hear them say let them let them burn they're a lot of cattle anyway they should have tried those guys instead inspectors okayed our factory just a few months ago signed all the papers everything legal What started it? A match or a cigarette tossed in a bin. An act of God. The court decided no one's to blame. The insurance company made good our claim. We even offered something to the families of the dead. Although the jury said, not guilty. We care about our girls. Sure we yelled at them, just like we yell at our own kids. (laughs) It's natural, like fathers do. Instead of working, better they should gab and gossip about diamond rings, weddings and stuff themselves with chocolate cakes. (laughs) Not on our time. We run a factory, not a social club. If we don't make a profit, well, we're out of business. So are they. A day's pay for a full day's work. Not a second wasted. No one's late or they're docked. Man, this, this is America.
1: Okay, uh, we have two more, uh, Rosie Schneiderman, union organizer, was one of the great union orgers, organizers of the garment industry, and she was really the voice of these garment, indus- the garment workers as they fought for, for safety conditions for the next five years. Uh, and Lee will read, Rosie Schneiderman, union or- union organizer. I'm sorry, Lynn. Lynn. Sorry about that. Rose
3: Schneiderman Union Organizer. The Saturday, my sisters worked overtime. A chance to make more money. It was always money. 10 minutes before quitting. Just 10 minutes. But fire won't wait. It does what it knows best. And in 20 minutes, it was all over. 20 minutes. Please, I can't talk about it anymore. If we'd only won the strike, safer working conditions, open doors, more breathing space, this would never happen. Miriam, Tessie, Lily, Ida, Rosie, Bessie, Sarah, you would still be here. Remember when we laid down our scissors and marched out singing the Marseillaise? after duty, We drank coffee, sat around telling stories. No one really listened, we'd heard them all before. Besides, we had our own to tell. My family ran from a Russian pogrom to this golden land where I went to school until I was nine. When Pa died, I stayed home to help, no more school. Later, old enough to work with all the mention. Got a job making caps, piecework, three and a half cents to 10 cents a dozen. Working hard could get us five bucks a week. Bosses called me Red, a socialist, maybe. But I'm not afraid to tell them. Why the locked doors? What's your worry? A few seconds lost if we had to use the toilet. Get a breath of air. Say a word to a friend. They used to shake their fingers, waving at us. If one of my girls filches even 10 sets worth of short waist cloth, she's liable for arrest and a prison term, and that means you. Mr. Blank and Mr. Harris, what's
1: the fine for filching lives? Okay, yeah, Ruth Dagan, that's Ruth Dagan, she's a marvelous poet. Her book is Payday at the Triangle. We'll try to get Skylight to uh, order it. Uh, she unfortunately died last year. Okay, this is my poem, it's the last poem I read it. We have some books up front and we'll sign it if you want. And we'll hang out for a while if you want to talk about Triangle. And we hope you go to more Triangle events. Uh, and there's when's the HBO film? This is gonna be HBO film, I think the 21st. Okay. Um, I was not interested in writing, I thought it was a great poem about Rosie Schneiderman. I was more interested in a woman who didn't become famous, but was a union activist. And the first uh, stanza, the union activist, because Triangle, they lost the strike, which happened the year before, they actually would do this. We union girls every Saturday walked to the Ash Ash building, yelled up to the eighth, ninth, and tenth floors, so long into victory is yours. To our sisters at Triangle Factory, our sisters who lost the strike, the girls defeated by scabs, their dreams of union smashed. Our sisters entrapped up on the elevator, eight, nine floors, the girls who were locked in, one fire escape, no union, the girls covered with scraps of clothing, the girls who screamed and burned in the fire. After the terrible fire, I walked numbly in the April rain into the funeral march crowd that overflowed Washington Square. My sorrow was enough to flood all of Fifth Avenue. My rage was enough to flood all of Broadway. They led the empty hearse first up to the huge arch, then we walked silently, eight abreast the rain hitting us hard up Fifth Avenue, the fine ladies in their frilly-shaped shirtwaists and the fine gentlemen in their fancy side suits in the sidewalk stared at us. We were so drenched walking past the mansions of the rich. We hissed and screamed from the floor of the galleries packed with my brothers and sisters of the dead at the Metropolitan Opera House Memorial meeting. We only quieted when Rosie Schneiderman, tiny steel wisp, with her flaming red hair whispered, This is not the first time girls have burned alive in this city. Every week I must learn of the untimely death of one of our sister workers. Every week we are maimed. Rosie's voice was our voice, was my voice. We followed Rosie across the Lower East Side, hoisting her up to speak. Rosie with her flaming red red hair at the street meetings told us the governor ignited a commission to investigate. All those meetings for five years, she gave us hope, telling us the commissioners crawled through the tiny hole in the wall to the steep iron ladder covered with ice. The factory's only fire escape, visited canneries where five-year-olds snipped beans, seven-year-olds shelled peas, saw machinery that scalped women, cut men's arms off. We followed her. Five years. I was one of Rosie's girls who helped leaflet for her meetings every noon and evening, telling our sisters and brothers the legislature passed, the governor signed laws making it safe to work. We walked the streets, leafleting our people in the factories and the stores telling them to speak up, speak up until the sprinklers were installed. Fire escapes put up the sides of factory building. The doors to the factories were unlocked. My sorrow lessened. Still, March 25th, every year, I take a bunch of daisies to Evergreen Cemetery and lay it on the grave of a triangle girl. Thank you very much.